Romans chapter 5. Uh, we've been in it now for a couple of weeks, um, this first section, these first eight verses. Uh, this morning, we will spend our time on verses 6 through 8. Um, and I want to follow up a bit on Easter's message, uh, especially this idea of suffering um, and kind of calling us back to that thought of how on earth can I rejoice when I suffer, when things aren't going my way, when I don't see victory in my life. Uh, how can I rejoice? And really his answer was in verse 5. How can I rejoice? Well, I can rejoice because I have hope, and hope I'm not ashamed that I have this hope, even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the unknown. I'm not ashamed that I have this hope. Why? Because, in verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So, this morning's text, verses 6 through 8, the apostle is explaining that. What does the love of God look like? Now, he'll, he'll come back to it over and over again. But specifically, I want you to understand, when we get to verses 6 to 8, the apostle is saying, uh, the love that the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts... This is what it is. Um, so, but we'll read these, uh, the first five verses too, to give us some context. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. It would be a good test for each of you to choose one verse from each chapter of Romans and memorize it. And for chapter 5, that would be verse 8. Let me read that again. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we've talked about the bundle of things that we get. So the text starts in, in, in verse 1 with this, Therefore, and it is assuming upon a truth that you have been justified. All right. So these promises, again, are given to God's people. Not just everyone, but God's people. Those who have been justified. Those who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we talked about this bundle that we get peace with God. We're not at war with Him anymore. We're granted access and standing into God's grace, we rejoice. We have a great hope before us in God's glory. And, and last week, that we have a posture towards suffering that changes our response to it. We wonder, why can Christians sing when they are being uh, persecuted? Why can they show love and kindness to their enemies? Uh, because 
we are overwhelmed by the love of God. And so this other part of the bundle was this suffering. We know that he has purpose in it, produces endurance, it gives us character, it removes shame. And we know all of this because God the Holy Spirit has poured the love of Christ into our hearts. Um, and Christian, that really has to be completely, uh, com- completely believed and accepted and received. And I love that he puts in there the Holy Spirit pours it. Um, one of the jobs of God the Holy Spirit is to remind us, to convict us, to show us, to convince us that God loves us. Um, there was a prisoner exchange recently, at least one that I know of that made the papers and uh, the news. It was a, a basketball star for a Russian's arm dealer. At least that's, that, that's all I know, okay? I, I, I'm not going to talk politically about it, but, but there was so much buzz about it, right? Is, is it worth it? Well, if you're that basketball player's mom or dad, of course it's worth it, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, you let a Russian's arms dealer come for our, our daughter, our friend. Um, but that's, that, that was the rub, wasn't it? Oh, what are we giving up to get the freedom for this one? Um, and, and, and so it was an interesting thing. On, on our end, we were like, uh, are we going to receive something good by releasing something bad? Um, so uh, what we see in our text is something really much more powerful, right? It, 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 it's not uh, we have, this country's holding someone for a drug charge and this country's holding someone for an arms dealing charge. And so they're both equally, uh, in, in the eyes of some, uh, guilty. Uh, th- these people over here want this guy back, and these people over here want this lady back, right? Uh, what we have in the gospel, what we have in the love of Christ, far surpasses that, right? There is a beautiful exchange that is made, but it's not <laughs> one criminal for another one. It's one criminal the only innocent person in the whole world. I call this God's undeniable love. It's undeniable in this chapter, in these verses. Now I found that in, uh, in my short life that people either leave the faith or they change, uh, change God's uh, in two circumstances. It seems it's either the success, as I prayed in the, in the prayer from Proverbs 30, verses 8 to 10. These are the words of Augur. I don't know much about him, but he writes, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And it seems like that amongst the people of God, even in the history in the Bible. When things are too easy, they wander away. When things are too tough, they say, well, uh, let's just serve gods like the nations around us. Uh, And here's what happens. We doubt the love of God when we suffer. We just have to own that. 
We doubt it. That's the first thing the enemy does. Did God really say, if God loves you, he would give you this, or he wouldn't give you that, or he would take this away? We doubt God's love when we suffer. We, we reason that he is powerful, and he does love me, but if he did, then why am I suffering? In all things, verse 6 says, I can rejoice because he loves me. So the sermon and sentence this morning is God's undeniable love for his people is proved in salvation. And so, Christian... Are you sure that God loves you? And God loves you in a, in a different way. I like the way that Dr. Lloyd-Jones puts it. He goes, we can't think of God's love in terms of our love. Our love is impulsive and changeable. God's love is unchangeable and eternal. And our salvation was planned in eternity. Does God love me? Can I count on the love of God? The love of God. We, we see hints of it in human love at times, but we have to think of it in God's terms. The love of God is a care for the person, their well-being, an overwhelming desire for their good. Um, not, not a human love where it's kind of this person makes me feel good and I love that feeling. Or I love me and that person loves me and so I, I, I love them. Um, not a desire in a sense of humans to, to own or possess or control, but a care for their good. The Spirit pours it into our hearts over and over. And so in our text this morning, I, I want to just... Break it down in these three things. We're going to look at salvation. Uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to um, look at God, who he sent. I think the whole outline's up there. Who he sent. Uh, and, and then also, um, who he saved. Verse 6, look at salvation. Salvation is God's plan, and it concerned his son. Salvation is all entirety, entirely of God. All right? It's not as is, placed, as is shown sometimes by evangelicals that, that God is this angry father and he's getting ready to wipe everybody out and Jesus is like the really cool teenage son that goes, hold on a second, Dad. You know, come on. Give him a break. Hold on a second, Dad. I, I'm going to go see if I can right the ship. I'm going to go down there. They're going to see the miracles. They're going to see what love looks like and, and I'm going to win, Right? Uh, that's sometimes how it gets portrayed, almost as if there is a disunity in the Trinity, right? The Father is the angry one. The Son is the, just the sweet and kind that gives everything for everybody. And then the Holy Spirit is, is the one that kind of placates the two. No. Salvation is God's plan. And it has been from eternity past. Look at John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he sent his son. It's God's plan. 2 Corinthians 5, all this, he says in verse 18, is from God. All right, this reconciliation, this new creation he talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Verse 6 in our text, God demonstrates his love for us in this. And two things I'm going to point out here. The first is, it says, while we were still weak, 
All right, so God's love is demonstrated to us. Salvation comes to us while we were still weak. We are unable because of our sinful nature. We hadn't gotten ourselves in a right mindset to cry out to God. Uh, in our orders, ordo salutis, our faith does not create regeneration. Okay? Our faith is not the gift that we give to God. It's not the thing that sparks the new life. God, the Spirit, sparks the new life. He regenerates the dead. He breathes life into the corpse. He raises us out of the depths, and He breathes life into us, and, and that engenders our faith towards Him. While we were still weak at the right time, um, at the right time, we see that text, we, we see that phrase all through Scripture. Uh, in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son. In due time, God planned it all at the appropriate time. Every detail lines up in God's plan. At this particular time, God sent His Son. Um, there's some interesting things about this time. About 1,400 years, the law of God and the Jewish nation, they had that 1,400 years to prove, um, could we get righteousness by the law? I'm not going to preach that. That's the first four chapters where he says there's just, there, there is no one that has done good. There is no one that is righteous. No, not one. There is no one that seeks after me. Uh, we tend to argue like the servant in Matthew 18. Uh, just give me more time and I can pay what I owe. Uh, in the fullness of time, think about just where, where it was in philosophy. It's the height of Greek philosophy. And that had come and gone and it failed. Right? It failed to do what the gospel could do. Uh, the Roman civilization, think about that culture and law. It had had its opportunity. The height of the Roman civilization. What was it? A decadent, horrible society. Corrupt and abusive. Even the Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, and even China had had their shot. In 1400 years, we had not seen that the law of God had had its way. And such is God's plan and timing. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, he sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So salvation is all of God. Okay? It's all of God's plan. It is his desire. He didn't just make it possible. He had a plan to save his own. And what did he do? He sent his son. Uh, two times, just in these, four, these three verses, two times it references Christ's death. Verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, Christ died for us. God's love had planned to save a people. And in that plan, it involved him sending his son. In uh, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, Jesus tells them that uh, the, the master had sent all these servants and they had killed them and they had beaten them and the master finally says, I will send my son. The son of God, beloved from eternity, obedient, full of the spirit, the most valuable foot to ever step on planet Earth. You know, you've seen, um, you've seen the, the, the president and his security around him, right? The guys dressed in the suits with the little earpieces and stuff. Um, in my lifetime, uh, I, I, uh, I got to witness or be 
there when President Reagan was shot, right? And, and one of the uh, Secret Servicemen got shot in the head, right? And what did he do? When, when, uh, when they heard the gunfire, when they saw the gunman, uh, they, they surrounded themselves around President Reagan. It was automatic. The Secret Servicemen had taken a vow, and their vow, and their family knew it, was, uh, I will place my life in between the President of the United States and whoever is after to kill him. You know, that, that, that bullet, in a sense, has to go through me. Now, all of them were younger than the President, right? Uh, they had much more life ahead of them than the President. But there was something about that position that, that made that person important. We understand God's love by what it cost him. right? God, God had the one he was closest to in eternity. It's hard for us even to grasp eternity. Eternally begotten, outside of time, forever past the Father and the Son had lived in a love relationship. And our love is proved by who he sent. Christ died. And, and just to make it super clear, it says, but God shows his love for us. God shows his love for us by sending his son while we were sinners and Christ died for us. Uh, Jesus doesn't save us by being a great leader. He doesn't save us by being a really good role model, healer, teacher. Now those are true. And they're glorious. And he was an example, as they would say in French, par excellence. The best of a kind was Jesus. But he saved us by dying. It was in God's purpose. He saved us by dying. Isaiah 53, we used it in our confession on the road to Emmaus. Disciples wondering what on earth just happened. And Jesus says to them, Was it not necessary that the Christ should die? When the Father sends His Son, He sends Him to His death for us. Our closing song is going to be When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I asked David to put that because it is there at, at, at the cross and, and just the idea of surveying, just uh, in, in some sense doing this judgment of, of I've surveyed my life, I've surveyed my successes, my failures, what people think of me. I've surveyed this, but, but when I survey the cross, when I do a survey of what the cross represents, what does it say in the hymn we're going to sing at the end? All the vain things that charmed me most. All the things that charm me had a, had a spell over me. I sacrificed them to him. So when we doubt the Father's love, we don't look at our health. We don't look at our easy life, our accomplishments. We look at the cross. In the cross, we see the awfulness of our sin, and we see the amazing love of God. But you know, that is not it in its entirety, is it? We see that God's plan was to save his own. We see that God's plan was to send his son. But I think the most amazing part is this last bit. Look who he saved. 
Look who he saved. Did he save all of his friends? Did he save all the little innocent children running around? Right? And, and, and that, that's, the, that's the argument there in verse 7. I right? says, so just, just think about this, people. Just think about this, all right? Pastor's saying, just, just for a minute, you know, when you suffer, just think about this. Would, would any of you give your life for a person? You might. You might. You might do the math. You might be a, 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 a parent that has an illness. It's like, I, I can give my spleen and my, my, I guess you don't need spleens. I can give you my liver. I can give you my lungs. You know, I, I, I can do that. Well, you got so much life ahead of you. I, I, I'll, I'll sacrifice my life for you. He says here, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners. And look at the words he uses to describe those he saved. We were still weak. Previous four chapters have shown that. We were weak. We break God's law. We break our own laws. Uh, we were out of time. We were ungodly. And when did he do this? While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, it's vitally important before we move on in Romans that you grasp this. Because he's saying, this is your status. You're a justified person. You are beloved by God. He puts his arms around you and he says, you're mine. How do do I know you love me, Father? How do I know? Look at what's happened. I've got the shame. I feel this pain. How do I know you love me? Oh, child, I sent my son for you. My son in whom I was well pleased. My son who was co-eternal with me. My son who, who, who was around the earth as it was being formed. And we breathed life and souls into these beings, the image bearers, my son. I sent him for you. I sent him for you when you were at war with me. You see, prisoner exchange is not really a great illustration, is it? it, it, it it's far greater than that. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. There may be no greater comforting truth, Christian, than this. Ask yourself, when did Christ die for me? When did it happen? When I'd had a good week? When I'd sold all that I had and given it to the poor? No, Christ died for me when I was weak. And when I was out of time. When I was ungodly and a sinner. Let me summarize it this way. The more the cost to the giver, the greater the gift. Right? I mean, anybody selling diamonds knows that. Right? Guy comes in to buy a ring. Right? What does a good salesperson say? Well, <laughs> well, have you heard about the, is it the two-month guideline? Whoever invented that was a genius. Probably the same person invented the throw pillow, right? You, you, you heard about the two-month salary guideline? 
When I bought Tammy's, I was making $600 a month. I went by the one and a half month salary guideline, right? But the more the cost to the giver, the greater the gift. I was going on and on about the guy who paid for the plane tickets for Tammy and I to go back to that funeral in Virginia. A good friend of mine is all the time like, hey, if you need to fly, just, just call me. And so he got tickets for Tammy and I, and I wrote him a thank you note, and he called me. He goes, man, I just want you to know this. That ticket cost me $12.50. <laughs> he said, I have so many frequent flyer miles. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I know you're thankful, but I just, I just want you to know that because you're way more thankful than $12.50 worth of thankfulness. But we know that, don't we? The greater the cost to the giver, right? The greater the gift. Secondly, the more unworthy the recipient, the greater the gift, right? It's not your birthday. You didn't just win the race. You haven't proved yourself worthy. The more unworthy the recipient, the greater the gift. God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So God gave everything to those who deserve nothing but wrath. So dwell on these when you're tempted to doubt the love of God. Human love at best can motivate a person to give their life for another truly good person. But Christ was sent by his Father, not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, rebellious and undeserving people. Therefore, God's love is greater in its magnitude and its dependability than even the greatest human love ever experienced. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I stand before you in this church as one who I just forget or I doubt. I treat you, Father, as a human being that is keeping record and is judging whether you should love me by what have I accomplished lately. I come to times of confession and I think, I, I, I'm sorry, Father, I've doubted you again all week. It seems we leak the assurance of your gospel. It just, it just evaporates. Something happens. Something doesn't happen. And we're thrown back into this doubting, questioning. Oh, Lord, may we survey the cross. May that answer all of our doubts. My Father loves me. Oh, He proved His love for me that even when I was unworthy, even when I was His enemy, even when I thought worship was a, a waste of time or I was being robbed of the good life, He sent His Son to rescue me. Oh, Holy Spirit, will You pour that love of Christ into our hearts? Would it be overflowing that, that we give those around us some sense of it? That we show kindness to our enemies? That we show love and grace to the undeserving? And when asked why, our response is because that's what my Savior has done for me. I stand in His grace. I live in His grace. I abide in His grace because He has shown kindness and love to sinners such as me.
Oh, Father, we pray that you are glorified in how we celebrate your love. We pray, Father, that you would set these elements aside for your use, that as the bread is eaten, that we are reminded that Christ had a very real and physical body, his flesh and blood and bones. And he gave that physical body in pain and suffering for our good and for our salvation. Maybe when we drink the cup, oh Lord, believe and have it settled in our minds and in our hearts that his blood has flowed and it has cleansed and it has washed me. And you love me and you like me. You rejoice over my returning to you. You rejoice when I claim the blood and the body of Christ as my own. You rejoice over the sinner that returns to you because you love us, period. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.